Hello there. Welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. I hope you're well. I'm all right, apart from picking up another injury. This time last week, I was bemoaning my lack of fingertip, which I'd uh, done in the kitchen. This week, I've got a great big swollen, uh, twisted, sprained, uh, possibly ruptured ankle thing from playing football the other night when this guy, this forward guy... He sort of fell on top of me, and um, not in a sexy way either, but uh, made my ankle go all scrumply underneath me. And it was quite painful indeed, I have to say. And um, now my ankle is purple, or the bottom of my foot is purple for some reason, Um, not the ankle itself. So I guess I've done something quite bad, I think. And at this age, you know, it takes a while to recover from the injuries. And of course, you know, I was looking for um, quick fixes. Uh, The the whole horse placenta thing, uh, that sprang to mind. But then I realized that horse placenta was just used by horrendous bastard cunts of all time. And uh, I gave that a a big miss. And then I was thinking of, you know, the the old blood spinning thing. You know, a player gets injured and, and they take out a whole load of his blood and they spin it and then they put the blood back in and it helps uh, the injury recover and stuff. I don't have a centrifuge or lab equipment or anything like that. So I just used a good pint of my own blood. And you know, one of those salad spinners you get, you know, for like drying off the lettuce after you wash it. It was not a successful experiment, I have to tell you. I may have to um, do further research into this, but apart from that, everything is all all right. Um, From an Arsenal point of view, it's been pretty good, I think. Um, Everton, we'll come to in a a little while when we speak to our guests, but the Norwich game, um, it looked quite hairy there for a moment. I have to say, I was sort of sitting there going, oh God, only six minutes to go, and well, the way things have gone in this game, I don't really fancy us. Uh, to to get a goal. Um, We'd missed some chances. Podolski had hit the bar, and you're kind of thinking it's going to be one of those days. And then the linesman, or no, I'm doing him a disservice calling him a linesman. That's just me being uh, old-fashioned or something. I don't know. Anyway, he's an assistant referee, and he's an assistant referee for a good reason, because he's uh, the referee's assistant. But also, he's allowed make calls. You know, he can say, well, that's a penalty, if he thinks that's a penalty. And as it turned out, he was absolutely right. The referee looked at the challenge between uh, Kamara and Giroud and, you know, played on. But the linesman from the other side of the pitch saw that there was some shirt pulling going on and uh, signaled to the referee that it was a penalty. And it was a penalty. I don't think that anybody in in all the aftermath of it nobody said no it definitely wasn't a penalty the complaint that people had was the linesman was too far away to give a penalty even though it was a penalty he was too far away to give it which um i don't know in in an era in which everything uh, an official does whether it's uh, the uh, assistant referee or the the referee himself everything is picked on and criticized and you know we we take them apart quite easily why is credit not given when they do something correct if he got the decision right from really far away does that not suggest that he's actually really good at what it is he does that uh, officials we've seen time and time again are looking straight at incidents. You know, the way uh, players might try and kick the knee 
off another player or rake their studs down the shin of a, an opponent and there's a linesman watching it and there's a referee watching it and nothing is done. And even with the benefit of hindsight and video evidence, nothing is done afterwards anyway because they say, well, the referee saw it and he can't see something. He can't deal with the same thing twice. It's like footballing double jeopardy. So this time you have an assistant referee from very far away who's done a really good job and all of us, all the pundits, all the, uh, the presenters are going, nah, well, it was a penalty, but he shouldn't be giving it. But if it was a penalty, he, he's every right to give it and he's absolutely correct to give it. Uh, and aside from the fact that it gave Arsenal a uh, way back into the game, it also caused all these people heartache that a, an official got a, a decision right. It really upset them, and I found that hilarious. I thought it was uh, the icing on the cake kind of stuff. Well, the icing on the cake came with the the two extra goals that we scored. Olivier Giroud got one from close range, and Podolski got one when uh, the same linesman, funnily enough, didn't spot uh, Theo Walcott being offside. So uh, he's either really good at his job in short bursts, or he, he quite likes us. One or the other. Anyway, 3-1 was the final score of the Norwich game. And you've got to give credit to the team for the way they came back. And you've got to give credit to the manager for making the changes that he did. And the the substitutes had some impact. And uh, you may call me a small petty man, but I take, you know, great pleasure very often in the unhappiness of others. Uh, There are some people on that Norwich team who are well, on the day and in previous days have been particularly annoying. Like Bradley Johnson, for example, the guy who broke Sanya's leg last year and before the game was going, I won't be intimidated by Jack Wilshire and tackling is part and parcel of the game, which of course it is. But they don't say stamping on the leg of a player who's just come back from having his leg broken. That's not part of the game at all. Tackling, yes, nobody would argue with that. Uh, and the goalkeeper as well. Was um, It was amusing to see him yellow-carded when the penalty was awarded. Uh, he was complaining that it wasn't a penalty, even though it was a penalty. And, and the guy who was time-wasting the whole game suddenly found a spring in his step when Arsenal went ahead. And, well, it's just uh, fun. And uh, apparently he was a Spurs fan too, which makes it even better. And, of course, there's uh, the big fella up front, Grant Holt. What a big lump he is. I mean, he, he's so fat that... Uh, they're now calling Yo Mama jokes Grant Holt jokes. Your Grant Holt is so fat that blah, blah, blah. Anyway, overall, it, w- it was a good day in the end. Perhaps a little too close for comfort. But uh, I also take some positivity in the fact that, you know, that was a game we easily could have lost. That was the kind of game that we lost at this point last season um, after going on a good run and we sort of uh, wobbled a little bit, but we lost games. And we dropped a lot of points. We dropped points to Norwich at home uh, last season as well, I remember. And we lost to Wigan and stuff like that. So, you know, it's good that we've managed to uh, overcome a little blip in terms of uh, performance and still come out with three points. Didn't quite work on on Tuesday night, but uh, we'll go into that in a bit more detail with our guest this week. And I'm delighted to welcome back to the show from Gunnerblog.com. It's Gilberto Silver. Hello there. Hello to you. Let's start by talking about Everton. Uh, go back to Tuesday night and mm-hmm. uh, a nil-nil draw. Um, 
quite an amount of disappointment uh, afterwards, and I guess that's understandable because uh, we've come off five Premier League wins in a row, so there's a, a feeling of anti-climax. And, uh, you know, even in the in the wake of the Norwich game where we won it really late, I think everybody was just hoping right until the, the final seconds that we might score the goal that that would win the game. So a, a touch of disappointment. But in general, I thought it was a... I thought it was probably a fair result, but also uh, not a bad result in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think essentially that it followed a sort of similar pattern to the Norwich game. In the, in the first half, we didn't look up to much going forward. But as the second half wore on, we began to build momentum. And, and I guess there was a sense of expectation that that goal might eventually come. Uh, Obviously, you know, it didn't. We had a couple of sort of uh, not even clear cut chances, but sort of, you know, well, actually, that's probably not right. We did have some clear chances, but um, but a couple of chances didn't take them. uh, And so it sort of wasn't meant to be. You know, I think that Arsenal should take a little bit of heart from the fact that earlier in the season, that's a game that actually we might have lost. I, I was reminded of the, you know, mm. games like uh, the Swansea game at home where it was nil-nil going into that last 15 minutes. We went a little bit too cavalier and got caught on the counter-attack. And that's not something that we could afford to do against a side as close to us in the table as Everton. So I think, as you say, a point, a fair result and by no means a bad result. Mm, I was a bit worried about that in the end. It, it sort of struck me that we had to be really careful not to lose the game, trying to win the game. You know, exactly. Because, um, for all their talk after the game, Everton are still talking about Champions League, and you know, I think they have to play Chelsea, and they might be playing. I can't remember somebody at Liverpool. They've got a Merseyside derby as well. So you know, I think they, if they really wanted Champions League football, they so they had to take three points. So in a way, I was glad that we we didn't lose it or, or drop points or drop more points than we might have. Norwich, of course, was uh, quite remarkable in terms of the the turnaround that that was made in the final six to eight minutes. Um, you know, there was a, a point where I was praying. for for X amount of injury time. And then, you know, I was hoping there wouldn't be as much as I thought there was going to be. And yeah. I suppose you have to give credit to the team and to the manager for the way they kept plugging away. Sometimes it, it, it happens for you, like it did against Norwich. Everton, I think, were much more stubborn defensively, better defensively, have a better team, obviously, than, uh, than Norwich. And you could see almost immediately after the Arteta penalty went in, Norwich heads went down. They were fearing the worst and, and we took advantage. We did. And, you know, I think, you know, it's the sort of performance that, you know, you look for a side like Manchester United don't always play well, but managed to sort of churn out the result in the end. I don't think we played particularly well against Norwich. And each of the goals that we scored was, I suppose, questionable. I mean, the first one, the penalty was ultimately the correct decision. But on another day, you know, the linesman wouldn't have seen it. You wouldn't get given it. The second one, possibly an own goal. The third one, possibly offside. So, you know, we'll take what we can get. And I think those three points were vital. I actually think that, you know, it's it gave us a good barrier and it allowed that point against Everton to be, you know, a better result than it would have been had we dropped points against Norwich. I think that the, the players knew that we'd built ourselves at some sort of cushion and that uh, they didn't go that extra mile against Everton, which resulted in us not, you know, conceding the goal on the break, which would have been a really damaging one. Uh, I think as it is, we keep the unbeaten run going. We keep the positive momentum going. Uh, and I think we're, we're looking, you know, we're looking good at the moment. Mm, it is 16 points from 18 mm. after the Tottenham defeat, you know, and uh, that's almost, when you look at the fixtures, that's pretty much uh, as good as it, uh, it could have been. You know, obviously there's points dropped against Everton, but you look at Everton and think, right, well, they're possibly a team who we could 
drop points again. It's important we win all the other games, and and we've done that. So I think we're you know despite the disappointment, fairly well uh, on track for what we need to achieve between now and the end of the season. I want to talk though about uh, Olivier Giroud, um, a guy who had good chances, uh, not. Uh, I don't think they were clear-cut. Perhaps the best one was the uh, the one he shifted onto his right foot late in, in the second half, and you'd expect a, a striker to hit the target even with his wrong foot from there. But, sure. it, you know, the reaction has been sort of interesting because uh, on the one hand, you have people, and I saw this, uh, you know, on, on Wednesday morning after the game, you have people saying, well, he's no better than Shamak. And, and that strikes me as ludicrous. Mm. And then you have people comparing him to, to Van Persie, saying he's not as good as Van Persie. I don't think that's uh, an unreasonable uh, thing to say, but, you know, you're comparing a 29-year-old Robin Van Persie, nearly 30, a striker in his prime, and a guy who's, you know, 25, 26 in his first season. The truth obviously lies a bit, uh, somewhere in the middle. I think he's a decent player. Uh, I think he struggles at times, and I think the bigger issue is that when he struggles, we don't have an option. And we've spoken about this, I think, throughout the season. Arsene Wenger talked about using Lucas Podolski there, uh, but when he comes on, he, he tends to play out wide. So uh, your thoughts on, on the, the big French guy and, and what he brings to the team and maybe what he lacks as well? I think, uh, well, I've always been a little unconvinced by his capacity to, to sort of fill our striking quota single-handedly. I do think he's a good player. Uh, I don't think he's in the league of Van Persie, and I don't think that's a huge, you know, a slight against him to say that. I think Van Persie's probably in the top, you know, top three or four centre-forwards in the world at the moment, and it's difficult to find someone of that calibre. Uh, the chances last night were, were difficult, you know. I mean, the one that comes in from the Ramsey's cross, he's sliding in, you know, inevitably he's just trying to get a toe on that. It's very difficult to actually control it any greater than that. The same sort of applies with the one where uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain squares across. He's throwing himself at it, but if there's something in the way, it's just sheer physics. He can't get beyond that. It's not really within his control. Mm. And similarly, with the one he hits with his right foot, I feel like he does everything right. He hits it with so much power and it, it, it just the rise takes it just a yard over the bar. But I mean, ultimately, I, I don't know what more you can ask for a player on their weak foot. You know, it was a good connection and he did well to create the space for himself. I think that uh, the bigger question with Giroud is probably that there's underlying frustration with the fans that you know, he's the only striker that we that we have at the club. I know we've got guys like Walcott and Podolsky, but, it, you know, neither has convinced in a central role at all this season when they've played there. And it's only been very occasionally they've done so. The same would apply to Jovino. Uh, I think that it's frustrating for fans when they see the manager come out and say things like, well, we don't, you know, we didn't go in for Denver Bar because, you know, we, we don't, we already have Giroud. I mean, it's clear that having an alternative centre forward uh, would be a great thing. And in some respects, I feel like saying, well, if you think Giroud is the type of centre forward who fits our system, then surely having another one uh, of a similar type of player makes absolute perfect sense. Mm. Uh, equally, you know, I'd like to see us sign a forward who's a, who's a contrast to Giroud. I'd love us. You know, I was thinking the Norwich game, if, if this was a, a different team, you know, we would have switched to two centre forwards, you know, to give them a bit more of a problem to think about at the back. And it's just not something we can do with the players that we have available most of the time because the other centre forwards we have are playing on the wing. Uh, so I think that Giroud is taking a bit of a flack 
for a problem that actually is more about the balance of the squad and more about uh, an occasionally baffling transfer policy. There's no doubt in my mind that he's a good player. And when you look at what he's achieved in his first season in English football, I think it's I think he's done pretty decent. Mm, I would agree. So well, what does Arsene Wenger do then this summer? Because I think everybody accepts the, the, the need for another striker. Um, mm. Does he take Giroud's first season as one that's, uh, could be a bit better, but is in general positive. Uh, the, the amount of goals he's got, 17 goals, you'd expect him to maybe hit 20 before the end of the season, which in a first season isn't bad. So what does he do? Does he say, right, he's had a first season to settle in. I think he's going to be better. He's going to be 26, 27, 28, 29 years of age. We might get his best years. Does he go out and buy somebody to, uh, like somebody, a big star? You mm. know, it's. I know it's not our modus operandi, but, you know, does he... Does he gamble on the potential of Giroud or does he like bring in somebody who's a name and who could, you know, take over as the number one striker? I, I don't know. It's a difficult one for the manager. I it's guess. very difficult. It's very difficult because, as you say, there are some really encouraging signs with Giroud, but there's clearly a need for another centre forward. Now, if you bring in someone who's just going to play second fiddle and occasionally replace Giroud when he has a... a you have you a know, Shamak. That's basically a Shamak. You've had, you, have, you have a Shamak. So I think, I mean, although it's not really what we'd, we're used to seeing from Arsene Wenger... What I'd like to see him do is go out and bring in someone, you know, top draw, top quality, pay what's necessary, uh, you know, within reason, uh, and then uh, allow part of Giroud's development to be responding to that challenge. You know, there's no way that over the course of a season, we're not going to have opportunities for both players to play. I mean, Giroud's probably played more games this season than Arsene Wenger would have ideally liked. Uh, You know, when he brought Podolsky in, he talked about playing him as a centre forward. And I think he probably planned on rotating the pair of them a bit more. But as it turns out, it just hasn't worked that way at all. So I think bringing someone who gives the club a lift, gives us more options, give the fans a lift, and Giroud will still get opportunities. And if he's going to be the player we need him to be, he will still overcome that challenge. Mm. Is it, uh, Podolsky is an interesting one as well, because I've, you know, I read somewhere, and I can't remember exactly where, but basically he's had this ankle problem since mm. uh, early mm. in the season, and they've, they've been sort of managing him through the season that, you know, he hasn't been able to play 90 minutes very often. You know, he's missed out in recent times. The team has done well without him. He's found himself benched. You know, even still, I think he's had a positive contribution to the team. I mean, is there the possibility that that, uh, he might look at somebody, for example, like Oxlade-Chamberlain as a starter for next season, as somebody who can play in one of the wide positions and use Podolsky and Giroud? Or, or, Or is it absolutely necessary for him to go out and buy somebody? Do you know? I think even if he does that, I think that uh, I think that he still needs another forward. I do think that um, it, the problem is that um, all too often this season we simply haven't been able to take Giroud off. And I think you know, like if Giroud's not having a good ninety minutes, you want someone who could swap in for him. You know, it's all very well and good saying. Well, Walcott and Podolsky uh, can fill in those roles, but most of the time they might already be on the pitch and you're looking for someone to come in instead of Giroud. And at the moment, we don't really have someone who's got that capacity. I think that, so it's a a sort of numbers thing as much as anything else. But I think with Podolsky, I mean, he started the first game uh, of the season at centre-forward against Sunderland. It's it's easy to forget. And he's barely had another chance in that position. I don't know what Arsene Wenger has seen on the training ground that's made him sort of you know, think that it's not something worth pursuing at the moment, but he talked recently about working with him on, on that role. Um, 
I really like Podolsky on the left. I know it's not his preferred position, but he's so direct and his crossing is is excellent. You know, he's got a lot of assists this season for Giroud half the time. Uh, and I like the way that those two link up. So it's a, it's a partnership I'd like to see more of as and when Podolsky's deemed fit enough to start. I, I would agree with that, I have to say. I like they seem to be building a reasonably good uh, relationship, um, yeah. you know, and, and it's sort of been scuppered by injury and Giroud was out of the side for a while when Podolsky was in it and vice versa. And I don't think we've really been able to sort of uh, see that uh, relationship re- reach its potential yet. So anyway, look, we'll see uh, what happens uh, in the summer, but that's uh, a little bit away. I just want to touch on Aaron Ramsey as well, because he's a guy who had a very difficult time. It has to be said. Uh, he made life difficult for himself, I think, because uh, I th- there was a weight of expectation. If you remember last season when when Cesc left and, and Ramsey was thrust into this role almost mm. to, to replace him, which was very difficult. I think he felt like he had to play a certain way. To, he had to try and play like Fabregas almost to try and be the creative hub, to try and do the difficult things of flicks and tricks. And, and that sort of uh, hindered his development, I think. Um, and what we've seen over the last three or four months from Ramsey is a, a real simplification of his game. Uh, when he's got the ball, I mean, his work rate, his energy, I think, is is almost second to none in this Arsenal team. The the fitness he has, the way he he chases opponents down. Uh, he's not the quickest guy in the world, but you know, he'll he'll just harry and hassle. But he he's doing the simple things a lot better now, and he's a lot better for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, in that respect, I suppose, and this is nowhere meant to sort of downplay the technical aspects of Ramsey's game, which is there. Uh, his before, recent performances have been somewhat reminiscent of the early season performances of Carl Jenkinson. You know, he's played with so much uh, heart and spirit and incredible athleticism. Like, uh, you know, against, uh, uh, you know, against Norwich, he was just consistently you know charging down I mean the corner that we actually won which produced the penalty he won by by chasing a defender down to the line and you know that's the kind of thing that supporters absolutely love to see uh, and it's, it's stuff that Ramsey's always had in his locker he's always been a really remarkable athlete uh, but as you say I think he, he, he overcomplicated his game and that position that he was asked to play that kind of number 10 role last season I, to be honest I don't really think is his best position I think we're finally seeing it's it's not rocket science. We're seeing him in the position that, you know, he was sort of bought to play, that he was bred to play and that he, he prefers to play. And uh, the result is, is fantastic. I mean, six months ago, I don't think too many fans, you know, would have been sorry to see Ramsey going out on loan or, or maybe even permanently. I think there were question marks over perhaps his future at the club, but uh, he's really responded in a terrific way. And, and I actually think that on form at the moment, he must be, you know, one of, our, one of the first names on the team sheet. Mm, I, I think perhaps Perhaps as well, there was uh, you can almost trace it back to uh, to the New Deal. Mm. It was like a, a, a vote of confidence in him, and I know we, they, we've spoken about this uh, British core that's in the team. But you know, he's signing up alongside uh, Oxlade Chamberlain, Wilshire, uh, Gibbs, uh, Jenkinson, etc. Et so there's like a vote of confidence there, almost like pressures off. We have faith in you. You know, go, go and play. And I think um, I think we've uh, seen the benefits of that. That's very true. And I think it's it's really fantastic. I mean, watching him against Everton, uh, the way he responded to the physical challenge of a guy like Maran Fellaini, you know, Everton put in a very tough, you know, physical force, probably two, two, two over the top, the likes of Gibson. Uh, but Ramsey never shirked from that, you know. And uh, it took a long, you know, he was out of the game for 18 months, the physical scars healing. But now what's fantastic to see is there's absolutely no inhibition there. It's clear that any kind of psychological barriers that 
may have existed are gone and he is playing with a real freedom uh, and it's it's unlocked in him this, this sort of big natural force it's really great and I, I hope that this development continues because uh, if it does then we've got a, an incredibly useful squad player and maybe more on our hands mm, you know and, and as well I know it's a point we've made before but you know when you see what the, what serious injury did to Diaby and what, what it did to Eduardo you've got to give him even more credit um, so you what, do and, and he's been lucky in that respect yeah, as well yeah uh, let's very quickly just touch on the game uh, tomorrow against Fulham uh, the manager's got a couple of decisions to make I think in terms of his team Jack Wilshire wasn't good against Everton wasn't particularly good against Norwich um, away from home perhaps uh, he might think about Thomas Rosicki if he's fit um, mm. you know to try and just add that little bit of zip in the midfield that wasn't there against Everton yeah, well, I think, you know, the manager has shown a, a ruthless streak in recent weeks, uh, recent weeks, <laughs> recent weeks, uh, dropping players who've been off form. Uh, and I don't see why Wilshire should be exempt from that. I think we're in a luxurious position whereby we can afford to leave him out and put sort of Kozula or Rosicki in that number 10 role. Uh, and I think that would probably be the sensible thing to do. You know, knowing Jack, if he's not playing well, he's going to sort of charge around and do everything he can. He might end, even end up hurting himself. So I sort of think that's just a, pull him out and let him recover his form you know in good time because at the moment we've got the players who, who are ready to fill in alright Gilberto Silver uh, from gunnerblog.com we better leave it there thank you very much indeed cheers thank you indeed to Gilberto Silver you know where to find him it's gunnerblog.com or on Twitter at gunnerblog so make sure you read and follow we'll have a quick look ahead to the Fulham game right after this and there are major delays going into the city of Norwich where a convoy of pie trucks has crashed leaving one very large man distraught on the side of the road. Police are working on it as we speak. We'll have more traffic in an hour. Thank you very much indeed. This is TalkShine Radio, talking shine about sport 24 hours a day. Now, the big issue of the week, and we're here to discuss it. Take your phone calls and get experts' opinion on it. How can a linesman on the other side of the pitch give a decision when the referee is standing much closer and can see it far better. We had the perfect example of that in the Arsenal-Norwich game at the weekend where the linesman has given a decision and, and it's just incredible, staggering that he was able to give it, but the referee standing not six or seven yards away doesn't. With me to discuss is annoying Scottish pundit. Hello there. What did you make of the whole situation? Naturally, Chris Hewton, after the game, was completely distraught, very unhappy, and he seemed to imply that it was because perhaps the officials were on Arsenal's side. Well, certainly I think that's, uh, that's something you've got to consider, isn't it? You know, uh, he's the other side of the pitch. How can he give that kind of decision when the referee is closer, you know? it's uh, To me, it's absolutely staggering. Can't believe what I'm seeing and just another sign the game is corrupt. Quite right. I think uh, it's very difficult to argue with that. We're going to take a caller. It's uh, Trev, who is an Arsenal fan, calling from uh, London. Yeah, in London. Uh, Trev, what's your point, mate? Oh, hello, fellas. Yeah, just a couple of points there. Number one, the Norwich player uh, has clearly taken a machete out of his shorts. Number two, he's beheaded Olivier Giroud on the pitch. Number three, the Norwich goalkeeper, thinking Giroud's head is the ball, has picked it up and has been time-wasting. And number four, there's blood everywhere. So I don't really see how... uh, 
you can criticise the assistant referee for the decision he made. It was clearly the right decision. But I think the point is, he was he was miles away. The referee was closer. Yeah, what are you on about? The referee was standing, like, yards away, and he didn't give it. He should have just played on. Ah, uh, yeah, but Giroud uh, is, is dead, and the Norwich players committed murder on the football pitch. Are you just talking semantics here? Just, uh, just nonsense. Cut him off. We need a better quality of caller. Annoying Scottish pundit. Thank you very much. This is Talk Shite Radio. Talking shite about sport 24 hours a day. When we come back, Sir Alex Ferguson is not the only old man that Robin Van Persie has been cuddling. Find out more after this. Talk Shite Radio. Talking shite about sport 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. Right then, looking ahead to this weekend, and it's a fairly tricky trip to Fulham, and after the game against Everton in midweek, it's one from which we really need to take three points. It was the 2009-2010 season, the last time we won there, a goal from a certain Dutch skunk uh, won us a game, a 1-0 victory. Last season, of course, uh, we were 1-0 up, Johan Juru got sent off, and Fulham scored twice inside the last five minutes and I think I could be wrong but I think uh, that game when uh, Jura got sent off uh, Skilacci came on and those were the last minutes of Premier League football that he uh, ever played for Arsenal I I don't see him appearing between now and the end of the season unless it all goes terribly wrong so we'll be looking to avoid uh, those kind of uh, horrible shenanigans Uh, the team news is that Fabianski is out uh, so Chesney will continue in goal I assume other than that we have a fairly clean bill of health apparently some tests for people like Rosicki and Oxley chamberlain but the manager is confident they're going to be fit he has to decide what kind of team he's going to play is he going to really go for it against a Fulham side that maybe don't have much to play for and uh, they're sort of stuck in mid-table no danger of uh, doing anything other than being in mid-table uh, but I, I guess they're going to be committed and uh, difficult to play against as Martin Yol's teams always are. Does the manager stick with Jack Wilshire? Can he bring back Rosicki? Will he move Kozorla back into midfield, perhaps, and play Podolski from the start? We'll just have to wait and see. But he's got some uh, choices to make, some options as well, which are good. I wouldn't be surprised if Theo Walcott uh, didn't start the game. Maybe Gervinho or indeed Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, somebody who the manager was talking about in glowing terms at his press conference. Maybe he might even get a start. We'll have to wait and see uh, how that goes. So we'll hope for three points. And then this time next week, we'll be looking forward if you can say that, to the game against Manchester United and all that that might imply. But look, we'll put that out of our minds. Let's hope for three points this weekend. Uh, Let's hope for Man City to do a job on Spurs as well. And uh, I'll talk to you then on next week's Arscast. So until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Squeal, cheeky, squeal, la, cheeky, squeal, la,